You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online and in iTunes because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we are going to be talking about some small tweaks that you can make when managing larger trading accounts. So oftentimes I know there's a lot of people that we have that are part of our community that have small accounts, but there's a good group of people, I think, in this community that have larger accounts. And so making tweaks to how you trade options or the way you go about your strategy as you start to transition to larger accounts can be important. And I think it's a topic that we haven't really broached that often on the podcast. And so I wanted to kind of dedicate this week's show to it because hopefully all of your accounts are starting to grow over time. And as you get to, again, larger trading accounts, you might need to do things just a little bit differently. So I have a couple things that we'll go over. There's no necessarily particular order into this list. So it's not like a, you have to do these five things, but just more like thoughts that I think you should go through and consider as you start gravitating towards larger trading accounts. Now, first thing I will say is that what do you define a larger trading account, right? So large account for somebody is going to be different than another person. I really think that once you start crossing multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, then you can start to start, you know, transitioning towards these, these higher end type things that we're going to be talking about in today's show. Really, if you want to use like a hard line in the sand, not that it's that so hard line in the sand, but about a half a million dollars, I think when you start getting over that amount, it starts to become a little bit more difficult to allocate funds and some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So for me, I think, you know, half a million dollars over that amount, then you start considering yourself more of a large, larger account trader. Although really we've got people in this community that trade eight, 10, $12 million. So the sky is really the limit as far as how much you can take this if you really kind of put your mind to it. So first thing I'll tell you guys is having more money doesn't make you more successful. So if you're listening to this podcast and you either have a large trading account or you don't have a large trading account at the moment, I think the first thing that people misunderstand is that having more money in your account does not mean that you have a better chance of of success. I have equally seen people who have a $5,000 account blow themselves up as I have seen people with hundreds of thousands of dollars blow themselves up. I think that your ability to generate positive expected returns and generate consistent cash flow in your account has nothing to do with your account size. Does having a larger account make it sometimes easier to get into more things? Sure, but it also makes it harder to allocate everything. You've got more money to play with and you need to allocate more money, which in and of itself becomes a challenge. So I think there's two sides to every coin. And I'll first start off by saying again, you don't have to, or having more money doesn't mean you're going to be more successful. I actually encourage a lot of people that I coach with larger accounts to start trading with a smaller amount, make sure that they get the basics down first, just in case they slip up, in case they don't look at their portfolio beta weight. And then they can slip up with say a hundred thousand of a million dollars before they just start, you know, blowing all their money and like going all in and learning with a million dollars, right? If you go back to even show number 119 that we talked about, don't practice with a million dollar account, you know, practice with a little bit of money first, Make sure you can get that down and then you can start adding funds to it. As we start talking about managing larger accounts, I think the natural thing that I look at when I see people with larger accounts and and try to coach people with larger accounts is that filling the buckets becomes exceptionally harder the more money that you trade. So when you're trading a small account, 
Yes, you are limited by funds, but the reality is, is that anything that you do in a small account can move the needle. As you start gravitating towards a larger account or start trading a larger account, filling the bucket becomes harder, meaning you have to actually allocate a lot more money to make sure that you keep up with your returns that you want or the income that you want to draw from that account. If you think about Warren Buffett's number one problem right now, and he's often said this at shareholder meetings, is that his problem is just finding deals that they can actually put money into. I mean, it's not like the old days where they could buy you know, a certain percentage of, of this company or a certain percentage of that company. I mean, they really have to allocate so much money and so much capital that it is a struggle. That in and of itself is a roadblock because they have to allocate so much money. So I think that becomes, you know, maybe the hardest thing to do with larger trading accounts. So what do you do? So I think the first thing that you can do as you start, you know, transitioning to larger accounts is you start moving towards larger products in general. So the easy transition here that I tell people to make after you get about a half a million dollars is to start transitioning to the bigger index products like SPX, RUT, NDX, et cetera, and higher value stocks. So stocks that have a higher price point, that would be your Googles, your Apples, your Teslas, things like that, that that just have a higher price point so that you don't have to sell as many contracts to get enough premium and to allocate your funds quickly, right? So if you look at Google, Google right now at the time that I'm recording this podcast is 11, about 11, $1,200, call it $1,200, right? It's about 1170. But in Google, because it's such an expensive stock, because it's over, you know, near $1,200, that means that a single option contract in Google could be, you know, two, $3,000. I mean, it's that valuable for these option contracts. Now, that's good because then you don't have to get 15 contracts or 20 contracts of something else to make up for what you could get in one single position in Google, right? Now, it means that in some cases, you're going to have to specialize just a little bit more. You have to maybe focus more of your portfolio on some of these bigger products like SPX and RUT and the Googles and Teslas of the world, right? But that that definitely means that you don't have to allocate as much and have to do as much trading contract-wise. So the other one I'll look at is just like USO. USO is a huge oil ETF. It's something that we trade here and there, right? But it's a low price point. It's a $12 security. And there's just not that much pricing in there because it's a $12 ETF. So if you look at just the at the money straddle in USO right now, it's $70. I mean, it's just really not that much. So if you're trading half a million or you know over a million dollars, trading USO is probably not on your watch list or it probably shouldn't be on your watch list because you have to do so many contracts for $70 to make up for what you could do in one single spread in Google or SPX or RUT, right? So there's natural limitations that just come with option pricing and the pricing of the underlying. So that's why I say you have to gravitate towards the larger securities. And then you you start trading multiple hundreds of, of you know, or multiple millions of dollars or multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. You really, really have to focus on those larger priced underlying. So some of the ones that you know we talked about SPX, RUT, uh, you could trade the straight up DIAs. Those are pretty expensive. SPY still pretty expensive, but you want to gravitate towards their bigger parents, the SPX, etc. But you've also got, you know, the Googles, the Teslas, the Microsofts, the Facebook, you know, like anything that's just a bigger price point. Priceline is another one I think that's, you know, a big price point. It's almost $2,000 right now. That stuff can really help out and can really allocate a lot of funds very, very quickly without having to do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of contracts, which also save on commissions, right? So 
you're doing 100 contracts in and out, that can add up pretty quickly, right? So the second thing that you want to do is you want to start also, as you start doing bigger products and bigger underlyings, you want to start gravitating more towards undefined risk spreads. And yes, that would be your straddles and your strangles. Now, I specifically talk about this with people who have a margin or a portfolio margin account. If you're trading in an IRA or Roth IRA or SEP IRA and you have a larger account balance, that just means you literally want to make the spreads as wide as possible. Now, you don't have to go 20 strikes wide because Kirk said make it as wide as possible, go as wide as you can so that you buy really cheap options on the further end of the of the spectrum. So if $10 out is now the limit and, and there's at $10 out, the option contracts are $2 or $3 a piece, great. That's where you stop. You don't go just $20 out because Kirk said go as wide as the you know pricing table would allow, go as wide as possible within reason, right? Still be logical about it. Pay an okay premium for your long strikes. But again, you want to try to mimic some of these straddles and strangles synthetically as much as possible. And especially if you're in a margin or portfolio margin account, you really be, want to be trading straddles and strangles as much as you possibly can. I mean, you really do. And you got to keep your you know, portfolio in check as far as position size, all that stuff, you know, still holds true. But with much more capital at your disposal, you want to trade those higher premium positions because you need to allocate money. It's very easy for you to cover money in most cases. So you need to trade those higher premium positions. Now, this also means that if you're going to trade more straddles and strangles on these bigger products, you might ultimately see a little bit more volatility in your account because you're trying to allocate more money and you're going after undefined risk spreads. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means that you're going to see a little bit more volatility on your path to growth. It means that if your average variance in your account is 10%, if you start doing this, maybe it's, you know, 12% variance, you know, up or down over the course of, you know, a long trading period, five or 10 years, you're going to see some volatility in your account for sure. Anytime that you start transitioning towards undefined risk spreads, but you need to do that with a larger account because you've got to get your capital allocated. And that's the best way to do it on a pure option selling basis is to do the straddles and strangles. Now, again, you got to keep your portfolio in check. You got to make sure that you still have capital left over. You don't allocate everything in your account. Still keep, I say, at least 50% of your account still sitting in cash to kind of withstand any margin pushback that you get in case we have you know, another market environment like we had in, in February where just margin goes up and the VIX goes up, volatility goes up. It shouldn't knock you out. It should definitely, you should feel the push of margin on your account, but you should have enough wiggle room to kind of withstand that. The third thing that you want to start doing with larger accounts is you want to then fill in the gaps with a lot of high IV ETFs and uncorrelated underlyings. So what do I mean by this? I think about larger accounts as having you wouldn't call it a core position, but you'd have a core strategy or set of strategies around the bigger named uh, or bigger value products like SPX, RUT, et cetera, right? And with more money and more capital, you can then fill in the gaps in your portfolio with other ETFs. Now, you're not going to trade as much in those other ETFs as you will in kind of the core grouping of positions. But if you wanted to get some exposure into bonds or you want to get exposure into energy or currencies or some other sector that help kind of smooth out your returns with a lot of uncorrelated underlyings, 
that's a good thing to do to fill in the gaps. So again, let's say you traded SPX and you traded a hundred contracts because your account could handle that. Okay, great. You don't have to trade a hundred contracts of FXE or XLE, which are a currency and energy ETFs. Maybe you trade 20 of each and you spread out the rest of your portfolio in smaller positions in these other ETFs, but you have more of them to help kind of you know, withstand the ups and downs of the general market and all these other little industries and sectors. In a small account, you really can't do that. So in a small account, you have to keep everything really condensed, really constricted to some degree, depending on how much capital you have. And maybe you can only trade five or 10 positions during that contract month just to max out what you have. And that's okay. You can start there and then slowly start increasing the number of underlying, say, you're trading. So again, with a larger account, you want to focus on that core group, maybe you know five, six core positions that you trade, uh, whatever you like to trade. Try to diversify it out as much as possible, but you know five or six core positions, and then try to fill in the gaps with just high IV ETFs. And that can be different every single month. So if we have, you know, GDX was a, a one that popped up on our radar just the other month, and we made a trade in it. We hadn't traded GDX in a long time, right? But now it's got a high IV. So okay, well you know, add a position here and get a little bit of exposure to the gold market and the precious metals, right? That's what you want to do. You want to kind of look for those low hanging fruit opportunities to grab high IV ETFs or any other uncorrelated underlying or stock to kind of fill in your gaps. The fourth thing that you'll start doing, is this the fourth thing? Yeah, one, two, three, four. Okay, so the fourth thing that you'll start doing is you'll start trading more synthetic covered call positions. Now I leave this deliberately as the last thing, because I don't think that you have to do this, but if you have so much capital or you find that you have so much capital available that you just frankly can't get it all allocated every month, that you're really truly finding a very hard time filling up your portfolio, which I don't think is a lot of people, maybe less than 1% of people that listen to this podcast, but it's at least a good topic to talk about. Then I think what you start doing is you start doing more synthetic covered call positions. Now, why do I say synthetic? Because I don't think that you should just flat out buy stock. I still think stock is very inefficient. doesn't matter how much money you have. You can replicate a stock position with much less capital and much less risk using options. So I think what you do is you start finally looking at things that you truly want to hold long-term. Maybe things that you know have been really beaten down, You know, big industry ETFs that have really been beaten down, you believe in, you believe in the area, the company, the sector, whatever it is, start doing some synthetic covered calls against us. This would be buying those leap options on the call side to replicate stock and then selling front month call options against it to basically give you that synthetic stock position or synthetic covered call position. So again, it's going to allow you to then allocate more of your capital to those positions. You'll have to include those now as you're in your beta weighting, right? So you won't want to discount those in your beta weighting as you're looking at your portfolio. You'll have, you know, in most cases, a very long position or a a good sized long position in a bunch of little, you know, currencies or ETFs or underlyings. But it's a good way to allocate a lot of your capital and reduce cost basis at the same time. So again, it's the last thing on my list, but it's something that I've talked about with a lot of coaching clients of mine where we you know, talk about allocation. And if they don't feel like they can allocate enough or they don't feel comfortable enough allocating everything to options, this would be the last thing. It's a lot of these synthetic covered call positions. So hopefully this little discussion helped out. I know we didn't get too, too in-depth because I don't think that there's that much that's really needed. All the mechanics of trading and what we go after, lots of frequency, option selling, playing the IV edge, 
all of that generally stays the same, right? It's just what you actually trade and how you go about it, I think maybe changes a little bit as you go to these larger accounts. So just as a refresher, you want to start moving towards those larger products. You want to start trading more undefined risk strategies, straddles and strangles, or if you're in an IRA, really wide spreads, really wide iron butterflies, iron condors. You want to then fill in the gaps with any of these high IV ETFs or uncorrelated stock securities. And then finally, if you just feel like you can't allocate everything, you want to try to get a couple synthetic covered call positions on and get a lot of exposure that way. So hopefully this helps out again. It kind of gets the juices flowing and hopefully uh, helps you guys figure out where you need to go. And it starts to to pre-plan and pre-think for those of you who are starting to get to that level or maybe getting to that level in the next couple of years where you might start to trade and it might start help or it might start to help right now by trading maybe one SPX contract and just kind of seeing how it performs and seeing how it reacts, right? You might want to start making that transition if you're under 500,000, but you're starting to get closer over the next year or two. This is a good thing for you to start thinking about now and start replicating or mimicking a lot of this as you start growing your account. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. Uh, My name's Vin. I'm a member from Perth, Australia. Love the site. I've been, been a member for about a year now and have really enjoyed learning a lot. Keep up the good work, mate. Just wanting to know what your opinion is on obviously all of the uh, cryptocurrency mania that's sweeping the world at the moment and what you think the direction of all this is and, you know, more importantly, what you think this means for conventional financial markets around the world as well. How do you think markets are going to adapt? What do you see happening? I just think it's a really interesting place we're at at the moment, just watching watching that sort of mania unfold. And yeah, it's, that's, that's really my, my question. More curious and keen to hear uh, other people's thoughts on the matter. Anyway, hope all is well. Thanks a million. All right. Hey, Vin. First of all, thank you so much for being a member for over a year. So it's awesome to hear that you've been here that long and everything's been helpful. So I thought that this was an interesting topic to bring up on, uh, on today's podcast because so much has happened in the cryptocurrency market. And I don't have too many thoughts, but I will try to add some, I don't know, some of my context around what it is and, and where it might go and what it might do here today. So the reason I bring it up today is because just the other day, or I say the other day based on time I'm recording this, but just last week, the SEC finally came out and said, and to me, it was no surprise really, because the government always wants to make sure that they've got their pulse on things, that the SEC said that anybody who is trading or any exchange or website or business that's trading in the cryptocurrency market has to be registered as an exchange with the SEC. They have to be registered. And it's just another way for the SEC to track and verify this. Now, this to me is one of the biggest downsides to it because it was portrayed as originally a lot of cryptocurrency was portrayed as something that was independent of governments. It was non, it was decentralized. Nobody really controlled it. You know, the networks in and of themselves controlled it. So I think that this is, you know, obviously has, you know, 
had a huge blow to the cryptocurrency market. And what we haven't seen is we haven't seen Bitcoin really recover from the kind of the crash from around 20,000 to where it is, you know, right now below 10,000 in a long time. It's kind of been trading in this range. Now, I will say that I do have friends that are in my mastermind group who have been in the cryptocurrency market from the very beginning. I mean, since the early, early, early days and have, I don't know if you call them ties or connections or networks to some of the maybe original founding developers and group that was part of it. I mean, we're talking the grandfathers, founding fathers type, you know, community of this. I think that the long-term future of some sort of digital currency whether the dollar actually goes digital or something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin replaces the dollar or any other currency out there, I think is very viable. I don't think that the blockchain network and therefore the cryptocurrency network is going away anytime soon. I think the problem with what we see now is that some of the early adopters or early favorable cryptocurrencies may not be here in the next five or 10 years. I don't know if you know, uh, Bitcoin is the one that's going to catch on, or if Ethereum is the one that's going to catch on, or if Litecoin is the one that's going to catch on. It's it's still really, really early to say which one, if any, are going to catch on. And so I think that's the biggest risk that I see to, to most people who are just like dumping money into this stuff left and right. And have obviously had a you know huge downturn because a lot of people got in you know near the top and that's not good because I you know see people who are like hey are you going to get in and I'm like nope I'm just going to stay on the sidelines I haven't gotten into anything and people are dumping money into this and lost half of their account value and could go lower I don't know what's going to be the ultimate cryptocurrency to rule them all or if there's going to be a basket of them or a select group of them or even if our government's just going to say you know what forget like the dollar we're just going to go with the crypto dollar or what you know like, there's so much to be yet to be discovered in, in this space. It's far, far, far too early. So do I think you should invest in it? I am not. I think that you should maybe keep your money someplace else. But if you want to, I'm not going to say you can or you shouldn't. I would just say be totally cautious about what you do. I consider everything in this space to be a absolutely 100% lottery ticket type investing. I think you treat it very much the same way mentally and cash-wise that you would treat a lottery ticket that you buy anywhere. So it's money that if you wanted to invest in it, you know full well you are probably going to lose. And maybe on the off chance that you have a huge home run, that you get a big payout, right? But other than that, I don't think people should be taking out mortgages to invest in it. I don't think they should be taking draws on their credit cards to invest in it. So a lot of people doing this and and people are emailing me like all the stuff that they're doing, taking home equity lines to buy cryptocurrency, it's crazy. It's bananas to do that. It's not rational thought, which is what we should be doing in this space. So if you're a long-term investor in it, great. But you just have to realize you're going to have a lot of ups and downs along the way. So hopefully this helps out. We'll obviously, obviously start talking more about cryptocurrency as it you know continues. I don't want to make everything that we do cryptocurrency, but I'll chime in here and there. And I thought that this was a good time to uh, add some thoughts. So if you have any thoughts on this, let me know in the comment section or on Facebook and Twitter moving forward. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so today in the closing bell segment, I want to go through a new trade that we got into just the other day in XOP. So XOP is an oil and gas ETF, and it's had fairly decent implied volatility. It's come down from the highs, but 
What I like about XOP is I feel like it trades in ranges and it doesn't move that often. I mean, it had some spikes and, and you know, pops higher, etc. But it generally trades in ranges and pretty tight ranges at that. And so what I wanted to do is start getting into a position where we're selling a little bit of premium here in the oil and gas sector. We need a little bit of exposure to energy into this area. So this kind of foots the bill for what our portfolio needs at this exact moment. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sell the April contracts, which are still over 40 days out and sell the 39 calls and the 32 puts. Now, at the time that we're making this trade right now, XOP is basically trading at about 34. So by selling the 39 calls, and then selling the 32 puts, we're definitely skewing this thing a little bit higher on purpose. So we're doing this neutral to bullish. We want to give XOP maybe a little bit of room to run. It has had a huge move from the highs, all from a high back in February of about 40, all the way down to about 31. So I think there might be a little bit more room for this thing to go higher. So we're going to skew this. We're selling a little bit closer put spread or put at the 32 strike. And then we're selling a little bit further away on the call side just to give us room to run in case XOP does continue to move higher at the 39 strike. So this is a skewed strangle that we're doing. It works well for our portfolio. We're pretty balanced right now, so we can afford to take on maybe a little bit of directional bias here in XOP. And this is the first position. So I plan to enter into more laddered strangles later on as we start to see XOP move throughout the month. And by doing just this regular strangle, it gives us a lot of flexibility to add strikes that are higher or lower depending on where XOP goes. Now, of course, if you're an iron condor trader or if you're trading in an Roth or IRA, you can create a risk-defined spread by also doing the 42 calls and by doing the 29 puts. So all you got to do is you just got to add those outside long legs. It's going to reduce the credit that you take in, of course, but you're also going to reduce your risk in this position by adding those long premium on the outside. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional links and related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 121. That's just the number 121, optionalpha.com slash show 121. Until next time, happy trading.